InfoTrack continues. The transition from childhood to adulthood was never easy. But InfoTrack's Taryn McCall is here with an expert who says a growing number of teen girls today are facing serious identity crises. Taryn? Thanks, Roy. Our guest is Leonard Sachs, MD and PhD. He's a family physician, psychologist, and author of Girls on the Edge, The Four Factors Driving the New Crisis for Girls. Dr. Sachs, your book covers four areas that contribute to problems faced by adolescent girls. What do you think is the biggest problem today? I think the one that is most accessible that parents really understand when you start talking about it is this whole idea of what I call the cyber bubble, by which I mean these girls who are enmeshed in this 24-7 texting, instant messaging, social networking sites. The Pew Center released a new study showing that the typical girl in the United States today now sends 80 text messages every day as compared with 30 text messages sent by the typical boy. So it's new technology, and girls like to communicate more than boys. Why should this be a problem? Well, to understand why I think it's a problem from my interviews with girls all across the United States, Contrast a girl today with a girl in ancient times, by which I mean 1990s. A girl in 1990s sitting in her bedroom, writing in her diary, writing about who she likes, who she doesn't like, why she doesn't like them, the kind of person she does like, the kind of person she would like to be. She might write several pages in an evening, and it's private. She's not going to show it to anyone. She might even keep it under lock and key. Now, compare that to a girl today who's posting a blog or updating her Facebook page. Technology has certainly changed, but why are these online activities a major problem? Well, first of all, of course, it's public. But when teenage girls share their Facebook or MySpace page with you, what you see are lots of photos, because girls know that what people are most interested in are photographs. So you see lots of photos with a line or two caption. And you don't find four pages about what sort of person I want to be because nobody wants to read that stuff. Now, again, why is this a problem? It's a problem because these Facebook pages, social networking sites, whatever, they're not honest. They're often not true to who that girl really is because she doesn't know who she is. That girl 20 years ago writing those pages in her diary, she was doing some very important work figuring out who she is. Does she really like this or that or this or that person? The girl today is marketing a brand. She is presenting a persona, and she's posting lines about last night's Gossip Girl without really pausing to think, do I really enjoy that? Because that's not the question. The question is not, did you enjoy it? The question is, how can you entertain your audience? How can you increase the number of hits? And again, these are 12, 13, 14-year-old girls who are marketing themselves in much the same way that an adult celebrity might. And that's fine if you're Angelina Jolie and you have a team of people doing this for you. But when you have a 12-year-old girl pretending to be interested in Gossip Girl, the problem is she's wearing a mask. And when she takes the mask off, she doesn't recognize the person underneath it. And there's a level of, for lack of a better term, social retardation. If you're spending all your time texting or being online, you're not developing interpersonal skills. And more and more teachers and parents are noticing this, that we've got a whole crop of kids now, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, who are unskilled in the art of conversation. And much of the art of conversation 
is not necessarily what you say, but how you say it. Making eye contact, smiling, showing that you're paying attention and not fiddling with something in your lap, whether that's a cell phone or whatever. Teachers and parents increasingly are alarmed that you've got 15-year-olds who don't seem to understand that when you're talking to another human being, you need to look that person in the eye. You need to smile and nod and show interest and not be looking off to the side or looking into your lap to see if anyone has texted you. Can you give us a practical example of how parents can help? Sure. The charger for your daughter's cell phone stays in the parents' room, and at 10 o'clock each evening, the very latest, the phone is switched off. And it goes into the charger, and your daughter can retrieve it tomorrow morning. Now, girls don't like this. They'll say, but but, what if there's an emergency? And you say, look, if there's an emergency, we still have a landline. Your friend can call our house, and I will pick up the phone, and I will decide whether this emergency justifies waking you up at 2 in the morning. Because what's happening across the United States is that your daughter, let's say her name is Melissa, Melissa's taking her phone to bed with her, literally taking it into her bed. And at 2 in the morning, Emily is texting Melissa saying, oh my God, I thought Justin was your boyfriend. Well, I just saw him doing such and such with so-and-so. And the phone is on vibrate mode. And Melissa is texting her back. So you won't hear anything. There's nothing to hear. Uh, but these girls are now up for an hour in the middle of the night texting each other the latest gossip. And the next morning, she's going to be sleep-deprived. The result is these kids are coming to school in a stupor because the average teenager needs about nine hours of sleep at night, and they're getting maybe five or six. And I have personally seen clinically a number of these kids get labeled as having attention deficit disorder because they're not paying attention in class. And the doctor prescribes Adderall or Ritalin or Concerta or Metadate. And the medications work incredibly well. What is Adderall? It is merely a mixture of four different amphetamines. It is speed. It's an extremely powerful stimulant. And the teacher will say, wow, Emily really can concentrate and focus now. And what an improvement. And the parents think that, well, this medication for ADD helped. Therefore, she must have ADD. One of the other areas you discuss in your book is sexual identity. And, you know, back in pre-ancient times when I was going through this, my cadre was also accused of dressing too old for our years. Fashions always do seem to sexualize young adult women, and the kids, of course, want to emulate that. Is there anything in this day and age that's particularly more dangerous than what we went through in our generation? Well, sure. And again, this has been really well documented. For as long as I can remember, certainly, uh, old people have been saying, oh, the young women these days, they dress too provocatively. People were saying that 40 years ago. What's different is the sexualization of girlhood, by which I mean literally six, seven, eight, and nine-year-old girls. 30 years ago, it was certainly the case that 16 and 17-year-old girls would have been wearing mini skirts and halter tops. But you wouldn't have seen seven-year-old girls wearing that. And again, this is not my impression. There's a lot of good data on this point, which I share. The American Psychological Association published a 108-page monograph on this topic, which I cite. Thirty years ago, you went into a department store anywhere across the United States, and you looked to see what was on sale for seven-year-olds. It would have been quite different from what's on sale for 16-year-olds. Today, that's not the case. Today, you can go into the department store to the little girls section for six- and seven-year-olds, and you can buy a T-shirt with big red lips on it or a T-shirt that says, Too Hot For You, or hot pants that say, Sassy. Recently, there was a dance competition in California where five girls who were seven, eight, and nine years of age dressed up in lingerie, literally bras and panties, 
and stockings doing a routine that was absolutely borrowed from the Pussycat Dolls to Beyonce's song, Single Ladies. And what I found very troubling about this was the parents went on national television to defend this, saying, you know, this is high energy. They don't seem to understand why this is harmful, why it is not a good idea for your eight-year-old daughter to dress up as a French maid with pantyhose and a short skirt for her Halloween outfit. It's harmful because who you are in terms of your sexual identity and how you're going to express your sexual identity is very close to the core of your personality as a human being. And girls are faking it. These girls are pretending a sexuality at seven, eight, nine years of age, which they don't feel, can't feel, because they're not mature sexual adults. They haven't gone through puberty yet. And a prepubescent child does not have a sexual agenda and should not have a sexual agenda. And when kids are faking it before they actually have a sexual agenda, the result is that they become disengaged from their own sexuality. And teenage girls in this country increasingly regard sex as a commodity that girls provide to boys. Oral sex, specifically in response to your comment, what has really changed in the last 20 or 30 years? In the 1980s, it would have been very unusual to find a high school where oral sex was the primary form of sexual intimacy between girls and boys. Today, it's very common. Uh, oral sex, which almost always in the United States today means, when you're talking about teenagers, girls servicing the boy, that's a form of sexuality that is entirely about satisfying what the boy wants and feeds into this notion that sex is a commodity that girls provide for boys. And I found so many teenage girls who, what's really exciting to them is the idea of spiritual intimacy and emotional intimacy. And the idea that you could have that with a boy to them seems almost ludicrous. The boys want to play Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. They don't want to sit around and talk. And the irony is the lack of awareness of parents about what's going on and the lack of involvement of parents in their teenagers' sexual development. The ironic consequence of that is girls who are not interested in heterosexual intimacy. We've been talking with Dr. Leonard Sachs, a family physician, psychologist, and author of Girls on the Edge, The Four Factors Driving the New Crisis for Girls. And you can find him online at leonardsachs.com. That's spelled S-A-X. Dr. Sachs, thanks for talking with us today. Thanks for taking the time. And I'm Taryn McCall for InfoTrack. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.